Today's podcast is brought to you by Sweden. No need to lock us down. No need to flock home, Stockholm. We trust our residents to distance themselves responsibly. We're really not that worried. After years of eating meatballs and pickled herring, our breath is usually so bad that everyone stands a few feet apart naturally. Sweden, you try telling Greta Thunberg to stay inside. Can I get a moment just to have a thought? I want to shout a thousand words of rage because you've been tweeting out a lot. And lately I've been wondering if this blundering mess is just a rule so you can plunder us and live in excess. All the while we've been hanging on... Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, he is a U.S. Senate candidate from the great state of Iowa. He served 36 years in the military, serving as the first military officer ever on Senator Ted Kennedy's staff. He was also the Chief of Legislative Affairs for the Navy, and in 2017, 2017, he retired as a three-star admiral. Admiral Mike Franken, welcome to the Justin News Podcast. Thank you, Justin. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, sir, you have, uh, you've been around the world. You, you've served a long time in the military. Um, obviously, we are in kind of unprecedented times, and, and there's so much I want to I wanna get to with you, but i got to ask, uh, what is your best Ted Kennedy story ever? Oh, heavens. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, I've, I can entertain a, uh, a dinner party with, uh, with all family-friendly stories. But here's one. <laughs> it was a cold and dreary day in, in Quincy, Massachusetts, and we were looking at an economic redevelopment of a former shipyard. And it was uh, rainy, you know, the typical Boston uh, bad weather. And uh, we got back to the van. He, he drove around in a, in, a, in a mercury white van. And the driver, myself and Ted, Ted would sit in the front seat. And uh, I'm sitting in the, between the two, two bucket seats, leaning forward. We're going to our next event. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We're all wet. We're cold, et cetera. The heater's blaring. And Ted suddenly suddenly says, God dang it, Jesus, these damn shoes. And he takes his shoes off, rolls his window down, and throws them out the window as we're going down the interstate. <laughs> and so it's like I look at the driver, and he looks at me in the rearview mirror, and we kind of go, whatever. you know. And I look around to find a new pair of shoes for Ted. There's nothing in the back seat, nothing nothing in the van. It's like, oh, well, you know, he's going to be plopping around in his socks, wet socks, for the rest of the day as we do our final few meetings and sure enough that's what he did well fast forward two weeks later the front office comes running back to my desk i'm the uh, military legislative assistant the foreign policy guy by that time and they say mike 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 uh were you with the were you with the senator when he was in boston two weeks ago i said uh yes the boston globe and wtop or whatever are here with the guy who found his shoes <laughs> and it's like oh well how do they know his shoes they're embossed inside saying uh to senator theodore kennedy theodore m kennedy from the king's cobbler compliments of prince charles wow and it's like, oh, son of a gun, wow. that's an inconvenient truth. <laughs> and what? So we they're here to give the shoes back to Ted. What do we say? What do we say? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll handle this. 
<laughs> and I went up there, and I, I, I was, I was effusive with my praise. Thank you so very much. Oh my word! You know, it was a dark and cold, stormy day, and he didn't want to get his English driving shoes wet. <laughs> So we must have put him on top of the car as he pulled on his galoshes and Lord and and you know strange as it may be we must have taken off they fell off the car and you found him he'll be so pleased let's take a picture let's make sure in the meantime I'm whispering to somebody go to the floor and make sure Ted Kennedy does not come back to the office <laughs> and so we did our our kind hugs and talks and photographs and out they went we grabbed the shoes threw them away and never did the senator find out that he threw his driving shoes away, which he should have never had on. They got wet. They they were sitting in the car. They got hot with the heater. They got tight, and he threw them out the window. And they were <laughs> gifts from the none other than Prince Charles. Oh my god! How about that for a Ted Kennedy story? That's a good one, and it's and it's family friendly. It was uh, and it's family friendly. That's impressive. They all are. Now that yeah. that type of spin that you put on that story is that when you knew that you were made for uh, for politics right there? No, I was made <laughs> to stay out of jail. <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, I, I, no, I mean, it never was an issue with with politics and me. It was, uh, I mean, it, what I'll tell you about Ted Kennedy. I walked in his office the first time and he sat me down on the couch. He had never had a military person work for him before. And he looked me dead in the eye and he, he said, Hey, did you know my brother was in the Navy? <laughs> and I, I thought perhaps that he was pulling my leg, right. but he was serious. And I said, yeah, I, I read the book, saw the movie, know all about it. And uh, then we proceeded to chat for 45 minutes, but he gave me unbridled support and a, and a long, long, long leash to run the affairs of my shop, uh, unhand, uh, un, un, uh, you know, pretty much on my own, uh, with minor influence from the front office, and which is the way he ran his office with, uh, you know, I think competent people making decisions on his behalf for the betterment of the nation and the least among us. And, and, and did you know at the time? I mean. Was there any, ever anything in you where you're like, okay, you know, you you're working for a politician, obviously a very very well known politician, a senator at the time. Did it ever cross your mind that you would be running for uh, to be a U.S. senator yourself? No, 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 no. I think it's a confluence of issues for me. Um, a Donald Trump was elected, which was unfortunate that I fought for a nation. But ultimately, after the 18 election, the midterm, it became clear as I sat and thought about it. I'm a, I'm a science guy, an engineer, physics guy, uh, and I, I, I look at numbers and I understand them. And it became very clear to me with trends in society that this president could very well get reelected. And if that was the mood of the nation, we should put our very best fo foot forward and controlling his lesser tendencies, and the way to do it, do that is as a as a as a as a holder of a seat in the Senate. And if you look at a resume such as mine, and you ask the question, if not he, who? Um, it was rational enough for me to clear the decks of what I was doing at the time. I had an international consulting business, 
and to, uh, albeit late, come into this race to win a win a seat in the Senate. And, and why, I mean, you mentioned your background, but I'm just wondering, like, you're running against Joni Ernst, who, among senators, is fairly well known. Um, you know, you have an extremely impressive background, but why is it, besides, like, your military background, why do you think you are equipped to, to beat Joni Ernst and, you know, be able to help turn Iowa uh, blue? Well, um, in this world... Technical understanding matters. So I'm a very technical individual. I'm a futurist. Uh, I'm a rural Iowan. I was born and raised in rural Sioux County, an area that went 86% for Donald Trump. I'm the youngest of nine, uh, public school educated. Uh, I have a worldwide perspective, having moved 28 times, lived on four continents. Uh, I know more about immigration than I would expect anybody on the Hill uh, from a perspective of nations from which immigrants emanate to the pass-through countries, etc. I know international security affairs, national security, the defense industry, uh, industrial complex, budgeteering. I have more years on Capitol Hill working legislative issues than Joni Ernst does times two having been Obama's chief of legislative affairs for the Department of Navy. Um, I am, uh, uh, I have a security clearance since 1978. So I have a clean background, uh, an understanding in worldwide, uh, trade, uh, matters of soil dynamics and farming and environment issues that transcend hers. And more importantly, I care about humanity. I care about the Affordable Care Act and putting people on on a medical program. I care about violence against women um, and uh, and education and providing a viable future and a quality of life for Iowa. Her voting record has not supported that. Um, It is, in essence, her with her voting record and me that that I I trump all the things that she used to get elected, military, rural, and the whole pig thing. I spent multiple years working in a hog slaughterhouse. Uh, And then I, from a practical life skills perspective, I represent what we want from an Iowa values and a good governance perspective, which she has not delivered. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned a lot of... uh like really important stuff there. One thing you mentioned that, that stuck out to me was the security clearance, because I'm just wondering, I got to ask Admiral, how hard are those to get? Because, uh, as you know, Jared Kushner has one and I just feel like if that guy can get one, I mean, like, what do you, what do you, what does it take to get one of those things? It depends. So <laughs> it depends what sign of kind of security clearance. So when um, you mentioned that I, uh, before we came online, that I voted against the Iraq War in a, in a in the Pentagon at the War Planning Group back in 2002. Right. Well, um, I thought when I cast that vote, the sole person in the room to say, you know what, this is a bad idea for the following reasons. Um, I thought I would be put out to pasture. I'd hang up my cleats. I'd finally have an opportunity to go to medical school, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately. A mere 10, 11 months later, I was Donald Trump's, uh, correction, uh, Donald Rumsfeld's worldwide ops briefer. 
Now, um, to do that job, because you have to have you have to have insight in the whole range of military operations across the world, from time sensitive operations to long leg strategies mm-hmm. and technical stuff. Uh, I went through a polygraph, a personal polygraph and a professional polygraph, which gives me a security clearance that's unlike the vast majority. But I will tell you that if Donald Trump uh, would have applied for a security clearance before he became president, he would not have made it through the first screening process by the lowest, lowest level secretary. <laughs> That person would have said, are you out of your mind and put that in the, not even returned his submission. They would have thrown it away as a joke. Right. (laughs) It's true. It's absolutely true. I'm not being mean here. No, 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 no. Absolutely true. I, you know, and, 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 well, and I wasn't trying to ask that question too, too flippantly because, because really like, you know, somebody like you who has the background that you have, I feel like. You're, ex- you know, I mean, I think you laid it out very clearly. Like you're extremely well qualified um, to be uh, certainly on Capitol Hill. But when you see folks like Donald Trump, the people who surround him, uh, in, in namely uh, General Michael Flynn, I mean, somebody who, who served in the military, what's your like general feeling on, on what's going on? Uh, especially with folks, you know, the, the they talk about how Trump. One of the the things that he's doing that is going to be long lasting is that he is tearing down these institutions. And I feel like somebody like yourself believes very much and is a product of yeah. those institutions. How do you, when you see General Flynn getting off, when you see the Justice Department and Bill Barr doing what he's doing, when you see Jared Kushner getting a, a pardon my language, a fucking security clearance, you know, like how do you how do you view that? Having been a mentor for the uh, for the State Department's program to uh, inculcate mid level and mid mid uh, mid middle upper level managers across all government agencies from Sandia National Labs to the Commerce Department, Forestry, on how to be a better manager. And knowing many swaths of government through uh, actually 37 years of service, almost 39 if you include my reserve time, um, I have nothing but the greatest respect for government service. And uh, so, yes, he has embarked on an tear down process. It is why, it is one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it is to rekindle that, to bring it that back. And, uh, and I, I found that as a personal affront when he first came into office, how he denigrated, uh, the state department and others. But here's the thing, everybody who has worked for him, he has singed He's taken, or he's taken the side to. We need to, we need to ensure that we remember just a few things that particularly are troubling for each of us. One is when he called a female associate of his a dog, not once but twice, yeah, publicly. Now, no one does that. Okay, all stop. I have lived across the world. I have sat across. Bloodthirsty terrorists underneath banyan trees, uh, criminal elements, 
drop bombs on bad people, but no one has called a female with whom they've had a professional relationship a dog. That just isn't done and talks about a level of, of cravenness that is without equal. And we need to remember these little few things. Don't talk about the economy. Don't talk about uh, all the good things he did. Talk about the things that show what's really core to an individual. Right. And, and that's, so that's where I am. Ultimately, though, Bill Barr, others, will have to face the music. And, and the music is this. It's their legacy. It's their children. It's those that look at them askance from across the table when they're old and say, Jesus, Grandpa. Uh, that's their legacy. And our legacy in my generation is this. There was a time when we saw things in a perverted way and we elected uh, we elected those who didn't deserve that honor. And I'm running to deserve that honor. Well, I tell you what, today's computer show was brought to you by Shooters Bar and Grill in Alabaster, Alabama. Bourbon and rifles, that's what we do. All of our firing ranges are six feet away, so you can do the distance shenanigans if you want to. Take a shot of bourbon and then take a shot of a sweet 12-gauge. Come on down, just off I-65 near the McDonald's. If you see Pussycat Strip Club, you done gone too far. Plunder us and live in excess. All the while we've been hanging on every word while you've been sneaking around back and leaving bags of your turds. Now this country ain't perfect, but it was on its way higher. Becoming a model till we elected a liar. Hey, kids, rock and roll. You you laid out very eloquently, I think, and and um, you know, I think that actually Bill Barr himself said it pretty well, which is that history is history is written by the winners, right? And um, I don't know if that's completely true, but it does. It, it I think there's truth to the fact that it's important that people go out and and vote, not just for Joe Biden, uh, who's obviously the Democratic nominee for president, but also for folks like you know you and across the country in in places certainly in swing states where uh, it can turn blue and and we can actually get some progress done um one of the things i did want to ask you about just on you know when it comes to healthcare, uh gun control climate change um you know we get caught up in labels uh you know i talk to a lot of different i i don't make bones about what i do i advocate uh, typically for Democrats, because I feel like that is where we can make real progress in this country. And I know that you're in a state that's Iowa, that's, that's uh, you know, rural in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you guys, uh, it typically is, a, I feel like, pretty red state. But, you know, I'm wondering when it comes to different policies, are you, do you put yourself more in a progressive camp? Do you put yourself in a more moderate camp? Or just in general, how would you describe your political philosophy when you're talking about healthcare, when you're talking about gun control, when you're talking about climate change, these types of issues, how would you kind of describe your political philosophy? Well, I can give you a sliding scare scale. I'm a numerical where I am on a scale of zero to one. Let's do it. We still, people a, like well, numbers, so let's do that. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> All right. So from a climate change perspective, if zero is, let's go back to 
burning coal in everybody's furnace uh, and driving around in uh, non-seat belted cars uh, belching belching smoke, if that's a zero, and number one is a carbon discharge-free environment. I am somewhere around 82. Okay? <laughs> I'm a futurist. I like so, it. so here's a data point. So in a single week uh, before COVID, I uh, was called into the fusion, the nuclear fusion lab at MIT physics lab, uh, which I went to MIT years ago, and to talk about the policy underpinnings associated with how to bring fusion technology into society. Keep in mind, fusion technology is is not nuclear technology. Um, later that, so four days later, I gave the international discussion on deterrence. And my deterrence perspective was less nuclear weapons, more on cyber, machine learning, and artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and space. Uh, and at the end of the week, I got an international award for uh, leadership from the, uh, the Churchill School in, in Fulton. But the short of it is, um, I'm a futurist, and from a from an energy perspective, from an econo- from a environmental perspective, from a certitude of mankind or humankind perspective, uh, lean way forward, aim for the horizon, aim for what's what's technical technically and philosophically feasible. From a fiscal perspective, I'm pretty conservative. I think we need to batten down the hatches and do something very inventive to roll back the debt of this country, which is a sin that my generation gave to the younger generation. Uh, From a social perspective, I am progressive. Um, In treating humankind in uh, bending over to assist those who are most challenged in society uh, to uh, to cleaning up America's what ails us from mental health to the disparity in, in health care uh, and let me see uh, and it goes on and on so each level I'm I'm this I'm this this sawtooth uh, not run-of-the-mill because I have strongly held views based on years of application and years of learning. Never stop learning. Has the pandemic shifted any of your views? I mean, obviously, you're extremely... I mean, you, you're dropping MIT knowledge. You know, I went to Florida State, Admiral, okay? Like, I, I know about keg stands, okay? I'll be honest. I, I've done a few of those in my day. Uh, couldn't tell you a single thing about physics, but... Um, but you're obviously a bright guy, but I'm just wondering, like, the circumstances of today's world, right, with the pandemic and how things have shifted, you know, I'm looking at, like, for example, healthcare, the, uh, the idea of UBI, universal basic income, giving people money. Have any of, you know, these things have sort of shifted, even it seems like Republican views to some level. Uh, have has, has the circumstances that we've, faced over the last couple of months that have been pretty much unprecedented in, in modern times. Have they changed your views in any way? Well, we, yes, uh, mildly so. So I, I, I'm not immune to the implications of pandemic. In, in the Department of Defense, we've run simulations. We've had tabletops ad nauseum on this. 
this is not new. Uh, now, the intricacies, the, the biologics behind this particular spore is, is different, obviously. But, but what, what transcends what, what we need to watch for, et cetera, we're aware of that. But from a societal perspective, we all knew that healthcare was feeble. And the most essential, what this has highlighted is those most essential, it's most feeble for. Uh, similarly, uh, those with haves, and there's a lot, a lot of us, versus those who have nots, there's a great divide. And in America, it's become almost a sinful divide. And this pandemic has highlighted that. People like Hall, and they're in their Vermont cabin, and they're there for the next four months. And yes, they took their pair with them, in case they want to go out for a walk, <laughs> versus uh, the, what, 42% of those people stricken by COVID-19 in a city that has 17% African-American or African-American. Right. You know, those types of things. Uh, I, worked, I worked multiple years in a hog slaughterhouse. And back when I worked there, it was a viable wage and everybody was white, frankly, and male. Today, uh, they are mixed gender and anybody, anybody on the kill floor is not white. And, uh, and yet we have a tendency to order them back to work and say, if you don't work, you don't get unemployment compensation. We don't, I mean, what you need to know is understanding immigration and how it becomes a village wide affair to send somebody into the United States to work. And you can't just, they can't work without it, without an income. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I tell you what, what the most valuable commodity is as a politician, and that is learned empathy. It's not being sorry for people. It's learning about the woes associated with those who are most of want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and I think that if, we're, if we as a society should take anything away from this pandemic, it is to look at that. Mm-hmm. The most elderly and the, the immigrant, the, the green card holder, and the undocumented. What's one thing you've learned since <laughs> you've you've come into the campaign at an interesting time? Obviously, entering politics during a during a pandemic is probably a, obviously a different experience than a lot of politicians face. What's like one thing you've learned as a politician that you you didn't expect? The power of money in politics is corrupting. I've come full circle on politics, and I'll tell you this. And, and, I'm, and I'm happy to debate this with anyone, but our, the process that we use to fund campaigns is broken. The, the Washington, D.C. reach out into the states to, to hand-select their candidates and then put their thumb on the scale to keep anybody else from entering the fray is uh, corrupting. Not inconvenient, but corrupting. We should call it as such. The Republicans do it, the Democrats do it. The money that uh, is generated by particular candidates because they give a nod to various associations is laughable 
at the least, sinful at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, where a candidate who has no scintillation of understanding of a topic, let alone the endorsement of the organization, receives the endorsement only because a powerful figure figure in Washington says, anoint her. And suddenly that person becomes an expert on Palestinian relations. Mm-hmm. Although I doubt if they've got a passport. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It who, is who are you referring broken. to? Who are you, fer- who are you referring to, Admiral? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the lay of the land. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is broken, and we, we consequently get unqualified um, lambs for, uh, for the political process who flail about for six years, 12 years or more, uh, finding their feet and developing their own uh, understanding of the process. But in the meantime, being told exactly how to vote, exactly how to think and who to support and to make call time so you make money for the party. Right. And that, that, my friend, Justin, is the, the, the eternal truth of politics in America today. Fascinating. That's, that's pretty coarse, pretty coarse, but you know what? Um, I'm spot on in that. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, and I think it's, I kind of go back to the idea of, you you mentioned, I I give you credit. You you went kind of the sliding scale of political topics. And I think that's one where, uh, there's a lot of pretty progressive Democrats who would be, uh, right on board with you, you know, and I'm not, not saying that you're not when it comes to obviously certain subjects, but, uh, but right there, that that's definitely something that um, I always like when I talk to a politician that can talk about the need to take money out of politics and how that can really impact yeah. decisions. So, um, yeah. I got a few more if you don't mind hanging on with me here. Um, oh just, sure, just a few more here. Um, one thing I wanted to get to, and you and I talked a little bit about this before we went on, but um, I you know I said it the same way I'm going to say it now. Uh, I give you a huge amount of credit because uh, I remember very well the Iraq war. I was a junior, senior in high school. And, uh, I remember getting recruited to try to, you know, join the military. I, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, where it's a big military town. And obviously it was right after nine 11. There was a lot of rallying around the flag. And, uh, you know, I felt in some ways, uh, being, I felt not patriotic for, um, being like, this is a stupid war. Why the hell would I want to uh, sign up for the military during this time? And I wanted to ask you about this because one of the reasons I started the podcast is because I get to talk to really, uh, I think, people who can make a huge influence. And back in during that time, you were, um, from what I read, the only member of the Rock War planning uh, board that voted no on the invasion of that war. And uh, first of all, I want to say thank you, uh, because I think, uh, you know, as somebody who, who remembers that very, uh, very well, I could have been, um, you know, I, I certainly could have been in that war, and I know people who, who did. But, um, but also just, it takes some huge balls, I feel like, to say no when everyone else is saying yes, and, and you know, do the, doing the thing that is right but not popular. And, um, you know, I mentioned just the, t- the talk about uh, taking money out of politics and, and you know, but the, the politician that stands out on, on the Iraq war was, you know, Bernie Sanders. But, you know, you were in a different world 
then, but you also said no. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think that speaks a lot to who you are in, in your character. Well, um, the Navy's been in, in the Persian Gulf since 1948. And uh, as we went through the process of how to invade the country, and came up with three courses of action. We call them COAs, COAs. And, um, and then the White House wanted us to vote on one particular course of action that was our preferred course. Um, and I spoke to Navy leadership, and I said, hey, how do you want me to vote on this? You know, you, it's, it's, it's pretty shaky. It's pretty specious, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember this, uh, this well-established senior officer, much more senior than me, who said, Danny, Danny, dog Gannett, dog Gannett, Mike, uh, <laughs> you're the one that's gone to all those meetings. You decide. I mean, you, 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 why are you asking me? You know the score. Mm-hmm. And, and so I went home. I actually had a conversation with my wife and said, boy, oh boy, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to go to a medical school after all. I'll be <laughs> in my 40s. And, um, get the hell out of here. And, uh, so, um, but as we were going through, there was probably 15, 18 people around the table. And then, of course, backbenchers on both sides. And, uh, and so they went, went around and went to course of action three, 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 and worked their way around. Came to me and I said, uh, Navy votes no on any of the courses of action. This is a bad idea for the following reasons. And I listed those. And I had my hands underneath the table. They were sweating, admittingly. And I looked around the table and no one would look at me. And uh, so there's two reasons why people don't do that. A, you're embarrassing them. Or B, you're embarrassing yourself. And um, I was hoping it was the former. And uh, so, but you got to live with yourself. And there's nothing in my id that told me that we were making the right move mm-hmm. by invading that country. And I have background on this. I was in what's called Deep Blue at the time, which was a think tank inside the Navy, focused on you know the post-9-11 direct action operations. And I knew that in working with the other government agencies that the, the, the find of WMD in Iraq was just not there. We hadn't found squat, and it was as vacuous from day one. So not knowing, not having a rationale for the invasion, and yet having end states for the invasion was a discontinuity, was a logical discontinuity. So I was pure from a, from a philo- philosophical position and a logical position. I mean, one thing does not beget the other. Right. So, uh, so, I, so it was all then an issue of: Do you want to be an accommodating voice, or do you want to stand for principle uh, as the principle? So, principle P L E and prince as the principle P A L. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you have to go. You have to. You have to. You have to sleep at night well rested. And. Uh, and, you know, frankly, had more courage been in that room that day, maybe history would have changed. Today's podcast is brought to you by Kim Jong-un. He's the pudgy $6 million man. Just when you think you've got him, he springs back up and starts licking his hindquarters like a plump little cat. Kim Jong-un, 
Welcome back, Oon. Can I get some quiet? Can I get some peace? The truth is getting buried in the babble. Could you shut the fuck up, please? Everyone is lying and we're destined to fail because nobody's been driving. We're getting off of the rails. Oh man, this is crazy. I got a little baby. I want to keep it cool. I think actually I have been Iowa one time, uh, Mike. And when I went there, I remember going to a pizza hut, which was across from a strip club. And that's all I remember about Iowa. If you can... Please give me one or two spots that may be a little bit more, like places I should check out on my next road trip through Iowa. Well, um, Unless, so of course, guy, it's um, the Pizza uh, Hut across uh, from the strip club, because then I'll go sure, back. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the first thing that came to my, my mind on that was, how handy is that? <laughs> um, but so here's a couple of, th- couple of short groups about Iowa. Des Moines is one of the wealthiest towns in America. Uh, Iowa as a state has historically been one of the most progressive states in the nation. Uh, Iowa education. When I went to high school in Iowa, um, Iowa was 99th in the 99th percentile for uh, high school graduates in the nation. If you were a public high school graduate who was an A student in high school in Iowa, you could do well in any university in America. And uh, so that's a short little bit about Iowa. Now we've got, it's not flat. That's far from it. It's actually quite undulating. And uh, and it has great history, uh, fabulous rivers. And, uh, and we're not lily white anymore. We are quite diverse in uh, both our belief system, uh, religion, and uh, and also substantial industry. Uh, people think that agriculture is what it's all about. Frankly, no. It's manufacturing. And, uh, and Des Moines is the capital of insurance. So there's wow. much about Iowa that people have a uh, misconception about. Uh Second uh, lazy question I have for you here. Uh, who was your idol growing up? Well, um, I think my brother, who, I mean, he was 15 years older than me and uh, with a whole bunch of w- uh, girls stacked in between. <laughs> and, uh, and he had a BMW 2002. He had a Moto Guzzi motorcycle. Um, he had a, he had a, a charming and beautiful wife and he was a Renaissance guy. He played piano, he went fishing, he read books and he flew jet aircraft. Uh, you know, how cool is that? Is, so is he the one who got I you think, into, into the military in the first place? Well, he intimated when I mentioned that I, I rolled my eyes one time in a conversation about going to medical school. Mm-hmm. And that's when he said, hey, join the Navy, join the service, whatever, goof off for a while. And I actually called the Air Force first, and uh, no one answered. So I, I uh, not, be, not to be deterred, I went down the yellow pages and found the Navy number and gave them a call, and that's how we ended up in the Navy. I see. Wow. It was as whimsical as that. That's cool. <laughs> that's pretty – I mean, it's simple, but it's, it's, a, it's a good story. Um. My last one for you. Uh, what is your favorite Iowa corporation who has supported Joni Ernst? I'm just kidding. 
Um, no, uh, uh, that's the that's the gun club uh, <laughs> east of Des Moines called Brownells <laughs> that produce firearms. Uh, they've given. I, the, he was a former, I think, the president of the NRA, and the NRA has given her like three point one million dollars. Oh my! That God. was an easy one. You can go. You can do it. Ask another one. Uh, oh, good. Okay, good. Because I got I got one more. Um, I didn't think I didn't think you'd be ready for that one, but but I should have known. Um, what's your favorite? What's your go-to? I feel like being in the Navy. The one thing I know about military people is they like to they like to have a few drinks and sing karaoke. What's your favorite karaoke song? Um, well, I mean, I, I'm not much of a karaoke. I, I, I'm not much of an entertainer. Shocking. Uh, I'm not much of an of a of a bar hound these days. Uh, but if I had to, if I had to sing uh, if I had to sing a karaoke sound, it would be Van Morrison "Into the Mystic." Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Is that going to be the Is that going to be the walkout song when you beat Joni Ernst when you you know you're announcing the victory? <laughs> um, it'll probably be It'll probably be my. Uh, played at my funeral prior. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's a that's that's a, <laughs> that's a good one though. It's a good one. Um, Admiral Mike Franken, uh, thank you so much for for being on the Justin News podcast. Um, I really uh, it's been great talking to you. I appreciate. It. I know we went all along here, but uh, I had just uh, so much of what I wanted to ask you, and I appreciate you getting all of it. Um, Lastly, where can folks check you out on, you know, on your website, uh, on social media? Where can, where can folks find you if they don't live in Iowa, maybe, and they want to support you, or if they do live in Iowa and they want to get more information on how they can maybe volunteer? Well, thank you. Very kind for asking. Um, you can go to the website, Franken for Iowa, F-R-A-N-K-E-N for Iowa, um, all written out, dot org. Uh, and there's a volunteer tab on there if you want to like to do some phone calls for us. Uh, we have a great uh, group of volunteers that span the globe, uh, and uh, uh, so that would be terrific. Financially, I don't. I eschew eschew the big funds from Washington D.C. and PACs and all that business. I take money from people, and I run a very lean, efficient campaign that's indicative of American society and not, uh, you know, the gilded ones. Uh, and uh, I appreciate whatever you can do in that regard as well. Um, and um, also on social media, if you think that we've got a winning solution, uh, call the DSCC, the, 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 uh, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, and say, you know what, you guys, you should be supporting that guy or any of your elected leaders. And, uh, and if you want, write an editorial to an to a Iowa newspaper and say, I heard about this guy, and Iowa would be well served. Or, if you've got an issue with me, say that as well. I just want honesty, and I want everybody to get out there and vote. This is important. That's a, that's fantastic. Can in Iowa can people vote by mail, or how's what's the policy there? It, they can, they can indeed. You've got a request on my website. You can request a ballot, and that ballot will get mailed to you. You need to fill it out and send it in, I think, by the 23rd or something like that, maybe 26th, and uh, request a Democratic ballot, because I'm a Democrat, and you can vote. 
and vote heartily, and that would be terrific. Uh, voting by ballot is the bang is the bang this time around. So yeah. go for it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, I will. Um, I'll certainly uh, be checking out that information, and I will certainly do my part to to help you out, Admiral Frank. And you've been a, a delight to talk to, thank and you, uh, thank you so much for for thank being you. on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we just got. Well, we just got the endorsement of the flagship newspaper in, in Iowa, the Des Moines Register, who said, uh, this guy's for us. So that's a good news story as well. That's huge. That's huge. The Des Moines, I, you know, as somebody who's, who's uh, you know, lived uh, not in Iowa, I know the Des Moines Register because, you know, obviously the caucuses. And, and so uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a big pickup right there. And um, I, 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 I'm hoping for the best for you. And I will, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll try to do my part as well. And, and kick in a little bit because uh, you would be fantastic. And uh, and uh, you know what? Nobody. I, I've asked that question a couple times now, and nobody's been able to answer that quickly. Their favorite corporation to support their opponent. So um, that was that was impressive oh, to me. I only listed one. I'll give you ten. <laughs> there, there's a lot of them, is what you're saying, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Get money out of politics. Yeah, well, no, actually, actually, many of them are outside the state. Oh yeah, uh, they're they're grubbers from outside the state. Oh, right. um, well, uh, well, yes. Uh, thanks so much, Admiral Franken, and uh, I hope uh, we can catch up with you. I hope you you get out here and uh, you uh, we talk to you before November. Thank you, Jess. Kind of you to interview me. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Nice talking to you. You too. Thank you.